Hallelujah. How many of you, God, has been faithful in your life? How many of you, God, has ever gotten you out of a place you didn't know if you were going to get out of? And how many of you can stand here tonight and say, it is well. It is well with, and if it was well with my soul then, it is well with my soul now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, guys. That was great. I appreciate that so much. Yes, give them a hand. Man, well, you're back to me tonight. You can be seated. Yeah, y'all knew that. Y'all figured it out. Ah, I just feel the presence of the Lord in here. Don't y'all? Isn't that good? Let's all get it. We can all get our ears open and ready to hear the word. I know that you probably don't remember what I've been talking about, but that's all right. How many of you know we're talking about a sword, right? Do y'all remember our, our weird scripture we've been using to base it on? The ironic scripture of, of Luke 22, 35, and 36. Jesus speaking, he says, when I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? They replied, nothing. He said to them, but now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Seems sort of strange, doesn't it, coming from Jesus? I mean, one of his titles is the Prince of Peace. And here he is telling people to buy swords with their cloaks. Well, we we know that there's probably something else going on other than what it just sounds like he's saying. Because we know he wasn't trying to recruit an army, was he? Because he never led a battle nor did any of his disciples after him ever lead a battle. So the irony's there. And then as I'm thinking a little further in Scripture, Peter, he answers here, and he's like, always Peter. I can identify with Peter. I have a sword. He said, it is enough. He didn't didn't elaborate any. Jesus was always that person in his teaching. Just sort of lay it out there. And then walk away from it. And let people figure it out. And then we know that when Jesus was arrested the night in the Garden of Gethsemane, what happens? I mean, Peter still had his sword, didn't he? He's like, he's just trying to follow orders. How many of you can identify with Peter? You're like, you know, I'm just trying to do what you said. So Malchus comes to arrest Peter, I mean, to Jesus. And Peter pulls out the sword and cuts off his ear. Cuts off his ear. You heard, that's the sound of an ear hitting the ground. And Jesus looks, it's like, put your sword away. Picks up the ear and puts it back on. No stitches, no, I mean, what do you think that Malchus was thinking that night? I, I mean, I'm just, I'm sorry. I mean, he had the pain, the sharp pain of his ear being severed from his head one minute. And then the next minute, the healing balm of the man he's arresting. 
That'll mess with you. But then Peter gets a rebuke, sort of. Put away your sword. If you live by the sword, you will. That, can't you just hear what's going on in Peter's mind? I thought you told us to get a sword. <laughs> wrong kind of sword. Wrong application. So here we are. We've been looking. In, in the, by way of review, we've looked at the sword of past victory. As David went, he went to the temple. That's where he had put the sword of Goliath. And when he was running from Saul, he stops by the, it's not the temple, the tabernacle, and he asks the priest, he says, so uh, I was in such a hurry to leave because I'm on urgent business from the king. I was just wondering, do you happen to have a sword in here? He knew very well. Well, well, we've only got one sword, the, the sword of Goliath, whom you slew. Give it to me. There's none like it. So he gets the sword, and he gets the, ten, he gets the 12 loaves of bread that were, the, they were called the bread of presence, that, he, that were the old bread of presence. And so he gets the bread, and he gets the sword, and he takes off. Now that sword, we liken it to the sword that we need to get is we all need to get a sword of past victories. I mean, how many of you have a sword of past victories? That's a powerful sword. You know, when you get to that place, and if he ever did it once for you, he'll do it again. The place to where you can say, I've been in a similar situation against some pretty bad adversaries before, but the Lord came through. I stood and the Lord did not fail me. See, that's the sword that we take with us. We have to sell our cloak. Our comfort. Because that's what a cloak was in that day. They would roll it up and use it as a pillow. They would cover up with it. It was, it was superfluous clothing. It was nice to have. But you didn't have to have it. So we could liken that into comfort. And many times in our life, in order for us to truly have a sword, and certainly for us to have a sword of past victories, we're going to have to be able to get rid of some comfort in order to go after the things of God. Now, I'm like you. I like to be comfortable too. But Sometimes our comfort is not the thing we need. We need the sword of past victories. Romans 8 and 27 says we are more than conquerors. More, what is more than a conqueror? I mean, a conqueror is pretty, a conqueror, more than a conqueror. Well, I would explain it like this. A conqueror is a person, think of a heavyweight, the heavyweight champion of the world. He goes out and he, he defends his title. And he goes round after round after round after round with a contender. Round, I mean, he comes home, he keeps his title. Still heavyweight champion of the world. He's beaten up. He's blackened. He's bloodied. He goes home that night, and his five-foot wife meets him at the door, and he hands her his cash prize. She is more than a conqueror. 
You see, that's what more than a conqueror. We receive the victory that Christ has won for us. We didn't hang on the cross. We didn't face the devil. We didn't take back the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Yet we inherited it whenever we come into Christ and put our faith in him. And so we then are more than conquerors. We received the prize, though we didn't actually have to give ourselves to the contest. So we looked at the sword of past victory, the sword of submission. You have to be under governance before you can extend authority. You have to come under the scepter of God's governance. You have to come under the word before you can be effective in using the word. You have to be under authority before you can be a person in authority. Isaiah said that the government shall be upon his, Jesus' shoulders. So that's the sword of submission. We also looked at the sword of opening, Hebrews 4.12. It says that the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two edge sword. And that word edge, two-edged sword, in the Greek, it actually means a two-mouthed, M-O-U-T-H, a two-mouth sword. And that seems a little weird, doesn't it? But then I started thinking about a mouth. What has two, um, your mouth, what does it have? It has a top and a bottom, right? It has two edges, and it creates an opening. And so, we begin to look at the sword, the word of God in our mouth. It is effective at creating openings. It does. Now, you have to determine the word in my mouth is effective at opening up the way through. What way? Well, that's up to you. Your words are effective. Whatever words you speak, open up the way through. Do you choose what words you put in your mouth? Out of the, your life and death are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit of it. So whatever, the way through, yours is the second mouth. Sorry. Yours is the second mouth for the report of the enemy or of God. The second mouth. What does that mean? It's like this. God says it. Do you say it? That's the second mouth. The enemy says it. Do you say it? Do you second it? See, because whenever you second it, you're the second mouth. You create the opening that you're going through. You take that territory. So that's how important the words in our mouth are. You create the same. We'll go to a business meeting here, and somebody will say, I, get, I, I make that motion, and then what will come next? I second it. And then what happens? It carries. 
See, that's how this works. God wants you to have his word in your mouth as the second utterance of that word. And then you begin to make an opening through promise. You begin to make an opening into the territory. See, so many of us don't experience the victories that God wants for us because he can't find a second on earth. Oh, I'll say everything God says. Yes, but are you under the governance? See, if you're not under the governance of the word and you're like, and I'll take that and I'll take that and I'll take that, and that devil's going, amen. Paul, I know. Jesus, I know. But you're a joker. I don't know you. You see what I mean? No governance. There's no governance. There's no authority. So the word, the sword of opening, the sword of opening. In Joel 3, 9 and 10, says, Proclaim this among the nations. Prepare for war. Arouse the warriors. Let all the fighting men draw near and attack. Beat your plowshares into swords. And your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Now, I don't know when the song came out, but I know that in the 90s we sang this. They rush on the city and they run on the wall. Great is the army that carries out his word. Y'all know it? They rush on the city and they run the wall. Great is the army that carries out his word. The Lord utters his voice before his... Y'all remember that? Come on. She, yeah. Blow the trumpet in Zion, Zion. Y'all know it now? Oh, man. Y'all don't know it. I was always one. We, I loved it. Every time we sang it in our church, it was like, man, the Spirit of God moved. I don't know. It was one of those igniter songs. I had no idea why we were rushing on cities or running on walls. I had no idea. Y'all know, you know what I'm talking about? You sing a song and you're like, they rush on the city. And I'm like, I love this song. What's it talking about? I have no idea. But great is the army that carries out his word. It was powerful. We were just singing the word. You know, that's what's so funny about the word. I don't even have to understand it for it to be powerful in my mouth. It's still the word. But then as I got a little older and I could actually, you know, look at something and figure out what it's talking about. It's talking about, it's talking about the army of the Lord coming and taking territory and being strong and we are the army of the Lord and we have a sword in our mouth and we come under the authority of his word and the whole imagery in Joel there says if you take your take your plowshares and beat them into swords now if you study that a little further you know that that same scripture comes up two other times in the word of God. Once in Isaiah, the first time in Isaiah. But it says, beat your swords into plowshares. And learn of war no more. And then in Micah, Micah quotes Isaiah and says, beat your swords into plowshares and your spears into pruning hooks and learn of war no more. And you're looking at that going, 
Ah, the word of God, that's a contradiction. Somebody made a mistake. No. No. Anytime you see what you think is a contradiction in the word of God, it's only an invitation to lean in for greater revelation. You see, Joel purposely inverted it. Joel knew Isaiah. Joel purposely inverted it because he's talking about the army of the Lord being victorious. So he's telling them, move out like warriors. Isaiah and Micah are referring to a time after this time. They're referring to a time called the millennial reign of Christ, or maybe even further on, called the new heavens and the new earth. They're prophesying of a time when there will be no more war. But I've come to tell you tonight, swords are for one thing. Swords are for war. Swords are for war. And we live in a time, we may be moving toward the ultimate. The ultimate when we all get to heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we will sing and shout the victory. But we're not there yet. We're in what's called the pan-ultimate. Do you know what the pan-ultimate is? It's the step before the final. We're moving toward a time when there'll be no more battles. We're moving toward a time where you can take your sword and you can hammer it into a plowshare. You can take your spear and turn it into a pruning hook because all you'll have to worry about is harvesting. And you'll have no need for any instruments of war because you'll learn of war no more. But we're not in that time. We are in a place of war. So Jesus is saying, if you don't have a cloak, a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. Because we're not in a place yet where the warfare is done. That's his ultimate point. Now, come around November, now the war in Israel broke out October 7th, right? And around November, Mike woke up straight up out of the bed in the morning and he just like jumped up and went to his phone. He was looking. He's like, what are you doing? He said, I woke crazy. He said, I woke up. All I heard in my mind was, we are at war. He said, I thought, what? He said, I thought, is it, are, we, are we like, did something happen at night? So he's checking news feed. That's all he heard. We are at war. And there was nothing. He said, I guess I was just dreaming. I don't know what was going on. Well, then, as 2024 rolled around, now, Mike doesn't really look, he doesn't get on YouTube or nothing like that. He's just not, he didn't listen to anybody. People ask him all the time, what preachers do you listen to? He's like, my wife. <laughs> I mean, really, that's about it. And so 
he reads the Bible, and if I preach, he'll listen to this, and he'll be able to say, he'll think it's funny because I'm talking about him. That's why I'll tell him, I talked about you, you better listen. So I began to look. I'm always interested, like, what are people saying? What's 2024? Y'all know, anybody else do that but me? You know, what's going on? What's and over and over again, I kept hearing the same thing. Here's, these are some of the ones I, there's a bride in combat boots, prepare for war. There was another bride who was wearing combat accessories on her dress. This is, you know, like symbolic language, obviously. Another one, quote, we are living in a great time of warfare this year. And then another one titled a a sermon series, A War in 2024. I thought, well, I told Mike, I said, I guess you might have been hearing something on the wings of the Spirit there. And as I began to, to look at that, now many times when we hear, when we hear war, we're like, huh. Now, how many of you know what 2024 is for the United States? It's an election year. So we know there's going to be somewhat some war, don't we? It's not going to be pretty, probably. But we know that the war that we're looking at is not as a physical war, don't we? Because Ephesians says what? We wrestle not. If it just said that period, that'd be great, wouldn't it? We wrestle not. Let's go home. (laughs) Lovely. Let's have a snack. But it didn't say that. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. So we don't need our sword, Brian, to stab our neighbor, Andy. You're safe. We don't need a sword. Yeah, that's right. Don't. We, we don't need a sword for one another, do we? But who do we wrestle with? Principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness. Well, how would you use a sword on them? The word is a sword. So we, I mean, that's why I've so wanted you to know the word of God. I just don't think you can effectively use the word of God that you do not know. I just don't think you can. I mean, I, I hope you can, but I'm, I have a feeling that when a soldier goes to boot camp, maybe Randall can clarify this for me. They teach you how to use your weapon. Yeah, he said this. Two weeks you learn how to use your, all day long. See, you got to know how to use your weapon. I mean, you've got to, you, did you know how to use your weapon? Do they just go, here you go, you'll figure it out. No, that would be ridiculous. So we have to know we're in a, we're in a war. We wrestle not. But it also says your adversary, the devil, roams about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Did you know we have an adversary? And also Paul says to put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. Are we in the evil day? I think so. I'm going to take this earring off. It just keeps clanking. There we go. So we we have to understand there is one rule of war. And the Bible even points this out. One rule of war. What is the one rule of war? Win. That's good. Don't do it 
unless you're going to win. Did you know the Bible says that? It says it like this, though. It says, what general, thinking about going to war, does not first see if he can win it? And if he can't win it, he sends out an emissary of peace. In other words, what's the Andrea translation? If you can't win it, don't do it. That's what, that's what that means. That's the one rule of war. Don't go if you can't win. Do you know that you can win? Do you? Do you know that you can win? Do you know this? You've already won. See, that's the reality. We, we've already won. We start from finished, right? You've heard that. You've heard Mike say that so many times. We don't start from start. We start from finished. What is starting from finished? Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. To tell us die. We start from finished. Well, we war from one. We war, W-A-R, from W-O-N, from one. We've already won. What battle wouldn't you fight if you knew you couldn't lose? Oh, you're like, yeah, but I like starting from finish. I don't like warring from one. See, this is what happened with the children of Israel whenever they were supposed to go into the promised land. And they saw that they went in, they spied it out, they said, it's good. It's better than good, it's great. It is amazingly good. One problem. Giants. Giants. And they are so big, we're grasshoppers. So what did they do? They did what every general does. They assessed the war, and they determined what? We can't win. And so they didn't go. And so they died in the wilderness. But yet there were two who said, we can. We've all, if, they said, if God delights in us, how can we lose? How could we lose if, he, if God delights in us? I wonder if that's our attitude today. How can we lose? Those who are in Christ, we've already won. Wars are fought for one thing, ground. Wars are fought for ground. They are fought to gain ground. Our war that we're in right now, it's not a war for geographical land. Our war is not a war for geography. The war that we're in tonight, and we're going to go over several things that we're in war for, over several grounds, but we're only going to cover one tonight. We are in a war tonight, right now, whether you know it or not. Whether you've got a sword or not, or whether you're clinging to your cloak and saying, I'm a pacifist and I'll not fight. You are in a war over the ground of truth. We are in 
right now, this night, we are in a all-out war for truth. Go in your Bible and go to John 18, 37. John 18, 37. There is a war over the ground of truth. I never in my... I used to teach. I have notes still. 2003, 2004. I have one. I ought to bring it out and dust it off and just give it... I'll give you Andrea circa 2003. You know the title of my, my message was? I saw the notes. I still have them. Lordship or lip service? The proof is in the pudding. I mean, I was like, well, I, was t- I read it. I was tougher then than I am now. Lordship or lip service? The proof is in the pudding. So we might, we might try that sometime. I said John. John 18, 37. This is Jesus before Pilate. Pilate's says this, you are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Was he going to testify to? So what does that mean, to testify to the truth? Put it in layman's terms. I was born to tell the truth, to show the truth, to be the truth. Everyone on the side of truth how many of you are on the side of truth? I believe you are. Every, here's here's, the, here's the, um, the test, the acid test to it. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Everyone on the side of truth listens to Jesus. If he said it, it's true. If we say he said it and it's true, we obey it. Full stop. That's how we know we're on the side of... That's that's what it means to listen. Listen is not to sit there and go, hmm, yes, I heard you, and go off and do your... Listen is to obey. Or if you haven't obeyed, you haven't listened. When I would get on to Hannah when she was a little girl, because she was so bad all the time, I would say... Are you listening? Do you hear me? Right in her face, I would say, are you listening? Do you hear me? And she would say, yes, ma'am. I wasn't asking her if her ears worked. Was I? I did not, was not concerned whether, her, whether or not the auditory function of her ears was functioning or not. I was asking her. This was not a hearing test. This was an obedience test. And that is when God is asking, do you, the one who knows me, the one who believes me, listens to me. Jesus is not asking for a hearing check. He's asking, do you obey? That is what it means to hear. So he tells Pilate, everyone on the side of truth. What side's going to win, folks? How many of you are on the side of truth? Then you better be obeying because he's not taking a hearing test. Now listen to what Pilate says. What is truth? 
and he leaves. That is, we have, there's no new thing under the sun, is there? That's exactly what the world is saying nowadays. Well, what is true? What's true for you? What's true for you? What's true for you? I'm a man. I'm a woman. I'm a dog. I'm a cat. I'm an alien from another planet. What's true? You tell me. Does two plus two equal four? I don't know. Depends on if that's true for you. I'm going to go to Starbucks when they tell me it's $5 for a coffee. I'm going to give them $2.50 and they're going to say, no, it's $5. I'm going to say, that's not true. And they're going to say, yes, it is. I'm going to say, it's not my truth. <laughs> See, it does, it's not even equal. It's not even, we can't do that everywhere, can we? This is ridiculous. What is truth? What is, it's a war. It's a war for truth. I want, you, I want you to hear this. I found this on the internet today, so we know it's true. No, I really did. I fact-checked it. I heard, I heard it from a friend who heard it from a friend who heard it from an, it's fact-checks. It's fact-checks. What are facts? Anyway. Okay, here. No, this is really is true, I think. I know it is. Retranslation of the Bible. This is an article written from December of 2020. Y'all ready? As part of a long-standing... I I gotta get my nose cleaned here, sorry. Sorry. As part of a long-standing effort to limit the influence of Christianity in China, central government authorities last year indicated that they would publish an an official translation of the Bible for Chinese worshipers. The Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, called for a comprehensive evaluation of the existing religious classics aiming at contents which do not conform to the the progress of the times. In 2019, a meeting held by the Committee for Ethic and Religious Affairs which oversees religious matters in China... That's what they meant. We want to see if the Bible, we need to check out for the progressive times, if the Bible's keeping step with the progressive times. This is what they concluded. In the meeting concluded that the new official edition of the Bible must not contain any content that contradicts socialism, and paraphrases deemed wrong by censors will be amended or retranslated. Coming, now this is China. See, because China for years, Brian, has been trying to keep the Bible out. Keep the Bible, for, for years, since the 80s, especially in the 90s, The Assemblies of God and many other organizations have been smuggling in Bibles into China by the thousands. They could not stop the Bible from coming into China. There are worship, I saw videos of Chinese worshipers getting a crate of smuggled in fire Bibles. And they were in underground churches. And these Chinese worshipers, they would, they would, 
open up the crate and they couldn't make any sounds for they were afraid they would be detected. And they would pick up, I should have grabbed my Chinese fire Bible I have in Mike's office. They would pick up the Bible and they would look at it and they would hold it to their chest. And they would weep and they would kiss it and kiss it and weep and kiss it. They love the Word of God. For years, missionaries have been smuggling in Bibles. One missionary smuggled in New Testaments under the cover of the, the book of the chairman, the Mao. He was the chairman, his sayings. They put it under the cover of the chairman Mao of his sayings. And it was the gospel. It was the New Testament. But it was, had the chairman Mao. And so the missionaries carrying in these crates of, the, of, the, of Chairman Mao's sayings. And he goes through customs, and he's going to get searched. Well, he got really nervous because he's carrying in Bibles. And so the, the customs guy, he was going to search him, and he opens up. Now, this is a missionary. that we, This is a Assembly of God missionary. I know him. Opens up his suitcase, and he said, and the Bibles just spill out everywhere. And this, this communist Chinese soldier's down on the ground, and he's helping me pick up all the Bibles. And they're, you know, they're actually, say, the, the Chinese book of Mao or whatever. And, he's come, and, he, and he looks at one of the Bibles, and he, he kneels down, and he picks it up, and he opens it up. And he puts it back in. He says, that's it. I'm dead. And the soldier stands up and he says, good luck with your book of Mao. And he said, to this day, I don't know if he didn't see it or if he was a fellow believer. But now, so the Chinese, I say all that say this, they can't stop truth from coming in. They can't stop it. Do you know that if we have an app in China of the Bible... We have to constantly, Simmons of God has to constantly monitor it because the Chinese party, Communist Party, will get it and they will sabotage it, change it. That's why we have to have it in print because it can be changed. And so as we look at this, we think, this is horrendous. I can't believe it. You can't stop the Chinese church. They can print this trash if they want to. The Chinese church is growing leaps and bounds. They're not allowed to meet, yet they meet. They're not allowed to pray, yet they pray. They're not allowed to read the Bible, yet they know it backwards and forwards. There's so many countries in the world who have come through this type of, of persecution, and they have waxed strong because they have a sword I wonder if our American sensitivities are we're just too soft. And as I read this, I think, dear God, there's a war for truth. And you say, that's in China. This is coming to a city near you. If you think that this could only happen in China, you are fooling yourself. There will come a day the war over truth will go, will be so fierce. They will say, you can't say that. It's hate speech and we'll fine you or imprison you. 
There will come a day where pulpits will be silenced unless that they preach things that are politically correct. We'll have to have PC sermons, not personal computers. It's got to be just what's politically correct. Are y'all ready for that? How many of you will say, be the first to say, then throw me into jail? See, I know, I know that, that that sounds like, man, a war for truth. See, we need to have our battle plan now. We need to know that we can win before we're taken off of our feet. Why do you think I want you reading the Bible? Why do I stand up here and harp and harp and moan and bellyache over and over just because I want to make you miserable? (laughs) It's because I want you to know the truth. I want you to know Jesus was before Pilate. Now we see, well, that's before Pilate. How about Jesus before the Pharisees? John 8, 55. But you don't even know him, God. Jesus said that. I loved how he talked to the Pharisees. But you don't even know him, God. He's talking about God. You don't even know the Father. I know him. If I said otherwise... I would be a great liar. I would be as great a liar as you. But I do know him and obey him. There it is again. If I said I didn't, he said, he told the Pharisees, let me just paraphrase it. You don't even know him, but I know him. And if I said I didn't know him, I would be as great a liar as you are. But I do know him. And I obey him. What? That was offensive, Jesus. They didn't even know what the truth was. We must have Jesus. We have to have his light. His revelation of truth. Or we can't even know truth. John 1 and 4 is one of the greatest scriptures in all the word of God. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. What does that mean? In him was life. And that life was the revelation truth of men. The light shone in the darkness, but the darkness could not comprehend it. You see, light in this, we've already talked about light. I'm going to work on it again a little bit more because if we get this, then it becomes so profound in our thinking. Jesus said, in him was life. Well, life is everywhere. Life is in, who is he to think he's another man born? He John's alive, Peter's alive, Paul's alive, Jesus is alive, James is alive, Andrew's alive. But he said, he claimed, there were, John's claiming in him was life. Well, what was in Peter and John and James and Andrew? What was in them? Did they not have life? Not Jesus' life. All they had was bios. Natural life. They had breathing in. 
and breathing out. You see, the life that they had in them, their life was darkness. Jesus had life in him. He had revelation truth in him. And that life was the light of men. It's like this. If you've never seen what true life is, Dolores, would you ever know true life? If you had never been exposed to actual life, the light of life, how would you describe it to me? Could you? You couldn't. So Jesus, the Son of God, the only other Son of God that the Bible called a Son of God was who? Adam. Read it in Matthew's account of, of Jesus' birth. Every person was born of a natural father, 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 born of Adam, who was the Son of God. So now we have two sons of God. See, the only person who knew what it was to be truly human before Jesus got here was a guy who hadn't been here in a long time. And that was Adam. So Jesus had this life in him. And his life, when he got near people, it exposed their death. It exposed their darkness. But not only was his life true life, he was not only the light of true life, he was the perfect revelation of God. The perfect image of God. And he was also the perfect image of humankind. Walking the truth. He was the truth about me and about you. How dare Pilate say, what is truth? When Jesus comes into our life, he turns the light on. No. Yes. I want to say when he comes into our light, he turns the life on. And when he comes into our life, he turns the light on. You see, you are a sham. You are a small token of the bios of God until Christ is in you. You're flesh and blood, breathing in and breathing out, taking from the atmosphere that God gave you, returning to dust day after day after day after day until, until you encounter the truth of life. And it becomes the light. It's like this. We're all covered we're, we're hidden. I need something to hide something. Imagine with me. I've got something under here. Under a dark drape. Humanity was under a dark cover. 
walking around, but not really knowing who he was. Until Jesus in him was life. And when Jesus' life hit the planet, it was though it went and pulled off the cover to reveal what a human really was. It would be one thing if all he did is reveal what humanity was supposed to be. When he said, I am the light of the world, by this time, only anybody could say was, yep. A few chapters later, he says the unthinkable. He turns to his disciples and he says, you are the light of the world. So, he's going to put his truth in you. He's going to put his truth in me. What truth? The truth about what life is. The truth about what it means to hear the word of God. The truth about what it means to obey the word of God. I don't want you to obey the word of God because you have to. If you only obey because you have to, I would rather you just go on out and do what you want to. Until what you want to do has just fed you up and turned to ash and gravel in your mouth. I would rather you go out and run needles in your arm. I would rather you go out and rob banks and that you would go out and just become the worst kind of heathen and filthy scum that the world has ever known as opposed to being someone who imitates the life that he died to give us because he wants to invest in us a life that will so outshine any pale comparison of any human counterpart that you could even imagine. He will put a life in you that is so strong and so stout that I won't have to beg you to read the Bible. I won't have to beg you to pray or come to church you will be here because it is in you to do it and it would be harder for you to turn it off than it would be for you to put it on now that's the war we're in and I'm here to tell you if you don't get that kind of resolve to be about the life of Christ, then don't go to war because you've lost already. Sado 3. He was successful, folks. He was successful. Why are we in a war? Skip it all, skip it all. There's good stuff right there. Why are we in a war for truth? This is what I believe. You want to know what I believe? I believe that the war we're in for truth is because we are seating a king. 
1 Chronicles 12, 32 through 38. I won't read it all. But I'll start by saying Luke 1 and 32. For he will be great, speaking of Jesus, Gabriel talking. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. Has Jesus ever sat on David's throne? Not in the New Testament he hadn't. He rode a donkey into Jerusalem, and that ended at a cross. Cross is not a throne, is it? Cross is before the throne. Now, he's sitting on the throne in heaven, but has he sat on the throne in earth? Will he sit on the throne on earth? He will sit on his father David's throne. Judges 21 and 25. In those days, Israel had no king. So everyone did what was right in their own sight. First telltale sign that there's no king in your heart. You'll live by your truth. No king, no truth. No king, no truth. But we're seeding a king. You can read it in your own time. It names every one of the tribes and how many warriors and how their skill was in their armament. All these men came to battle array in Hebron with the single purpose of making David the king over all of Israel. I think that we have a theology that says that it's going to get real bad and then it's going to get worse. And after that it's going to get real, real bad. And after that, it'll get worse. And that we're all going to be hunkered down in some foxhole somewhere with beans and bullets and generators. And Jesus is going to come and he's going to suck us all out of our pajamas. I don't know if it's going to go down that way or not. I think we ought to be a force to be reckoned with. I think we ought to be a people who know their God, who are strong and do exploits. Now, I'm just, if you know that scripture, you know it's in Daniel 11, right? And 32. Do you know what it's in reference to? The people being strong and doing exploits? In opposition to the Antichrist. In opposite, there's an antichrist spirit in the right now. The war on truth is an antichrist spirit. It's going to take somebody who has a sword and somebody who has the truth of God in their mouth and somebody who knows the truth and will expose the truth. But those somebodies who know the truth are going to be the ones who have the light of Jesus on the inside of them who are willing to stand up against anything and declare, Thus saith the Lord, truth is truth. I don't care if you like it, you can lump it. Because the, you say, well, Andrew, the truth has got to be spoken in love. Did I read to you what Jesus said? If I told you, you don't know the truth, he said. And if I said, you don't know God. And if I told you I didn't know God, I'd be a liar like you. 
Somebody needs to talk to Jesus about your version of speaking the truth in love. Sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes when we're saying speak the truth in love, all we're doing is saying, I don't want to say nothing for fear that somebody won't like me. We got to be people. We stand. Let's go and stand in the house as we close. I want us to be people who understand we are in a war. And the war that we are in is for a war against the truth. You're going to have to be a person who will stand for truth. And we're going to have to know it. Let's pray tonight. Father, we ask you, Lord God, that the truth of your word would be so alive in our heart. The truth about who we are. The truth about how we are. About where we are, God. Give us a passion to know you, God. To be the light that you have made us to be, God. Give us a fresh baptism of fire, God. Give us a fresh baptism of passion, Lord God. Let the words in our mouth, Lord God, be the words of truth. Let us listen to your word and obey your word in all things, God. We thank you, God, that you have called us to this day and this hour. And we will be those, God, who you can count on to know your truth today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you want to give in the offering, it's right back there. Lord, bless the offering. Amen. Did I hear somebody? Oh, look. Let's pray. Well, I didn't know. Let's pray for Bob and Chrissy Godwin. They're in Estonia. I will tell you, Estonia is a very secular nation. There is very few Christian witnesses in Estonia. And so we're going to pray for them tonight. Lord, I pray, Father, for Bob and Chrissy. But right now as they minister in this secular place, God, they are a light. They are a light in a place, Lord God, of darkness. I pray that the truth of your word would go forth, Lord God, and you would use them mightily. In Jesus' name. I'm just thinking of a story that I heard them tell last time I talked to them. They were, um, they had, they did a, it was like a, a fair, a job fair in the city that they're in, and they set up a booth, and they passed out tracts, and they talked to people about the Word of God. Now, uh, Estonia is like 99% secular. In other words, it has no religion. And so they were, people are hopeless. You take away, you take away God, you take away hope. And so they were passing out tracts, and they said they didn't feel like it was really successful, and so they didn't sign up to be, uh, to have a booth at this fair the next year. The coordinators of the fair contacted them and said, you've got to set up a booth. And they're like, why? They said, I don't know, but when you're there, it just feels like we have hope. And if you would just be there, then it would make everything feel better. That is the power of truth working in your life. So when you give tonight, that's what your giving goes to support people like Bob and Chrissy Godwin. Thank you.